You'll take your Bibles and turn with me to Luke chapter 2. Again, we're moving through the Advent season, and so we've looked at hope, love, and joy will be this morning. And again, uh, now I know why he looked so surprised when I asked him, please do joy to the world um, this week right before the sermon, and he kind of looked like, again? But there's a purpose behind it because uh, this, that hymn was written by Isaac Watts, and it's actually was never supposed to be a hymn. It was something that was written, uh, he did poems while he was doing the Psalms, and when he got to Psalm 98, uh, he wrote a poem, um, and that's the, what we sing today that's put to word, put to music. But it was amazingly not written to be a Christmas hymn. He actually wrote it in regards to the second coming of Christ, to the second advent. And if you look at the words, and if you paid attention to the words, none of what we sang happened at the first coming of Jesus Christ. It's looking to the things that will be accomplished at the second coming of Jesus. And so I want us to kind of have that in mind as we begin to understand and grasp what it means to have joy this Advent season. So I want you to look at the scripture, Luke 2, verse 8 through 20, and listen to the word of the Lord. And in the same reason, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled filled with fear. And the angel said to them, fear not for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel, a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the sayings that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, again, a very common story for those of us who've grown up in the church. A weird story for those who've never heard it before. But Father, this is your truth. This is your word. And so Father, I truly pray that you would give us ears to hear and hearts to understand. To renew our love and joy for those who have grown too common to this story. And for those who have never heard it, may you give them the joy of what it means to see our salvation. So Father, teach us, change us. Make us more like our Savior, Jesus Christ, than when we came. For we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Joy. 
For me, this is probably the hardest one to get ready for. I'm not known as a joyful person. My family tells me quite often, smile, be happy. People think you're angry all the time. It's something that doesn't come easy to me. I don't think I've, I think I heard my dad tell me he was proud of me one time. I don't think he ever said he was joyful in seeing me. So I I don't, I'm a pessimist. I always look for what's wrong. I always expect the worst. And then if it's better, kudos. Frosting on the cake. But I look at life, for the most part, joyless. And so this is one where I have to go back and begin to ask the difference. Am am I confusing joy with happiness? See, the reality is a lot of times we, we make a confusion that we have to be happy in order to be joyful. I think there's a great definition, and this comes from John Piper. He says this, Christian joy is a good feeling in the soul. It's produced by the Holy Spirit as he causes us to see the beauty of Christ in the word and in the world. I think it's a good definition because, again, joy is, it is an emotion. Okay? It's not something that you can think your way into joy. Joy is something that is emotive. It happens. It happens and you experience it like at a football game or if you go to a a great concert. It's a joy explosion. Probably the the greatest thing that I see in human love is when parents see their kids perform in whatever. Whether it's a play or on the field or whatever. There's an expression that they can't hide. And so it is an emotion, but it's an emotion that for us, in regards to Christian joy, is produced by the Holy Spirit. It's a fruit of the Spirit. And so it's something that the Holy Spirit allows us, then he, he causes us, as the word there, he causes us to see the beauty of Christ. And we see the beauty of Christ in the word and in the world. And so again, as the the word is opened up to you, you should be someone who responds with joy to the promises, to the truths that are brought open in the word. But also as you begin to see out in the world, we begin to lose the focus of the the world is going to hell in a handbasket to the Jesus is bringing about the end. And we know that things have got to get worse before they get better. Now that doesn't sound like fun, does it? It doesn't sound like we should enjoy joy in the midst of pain and suffering. But let's think about, let's think about what Joseph and Mary were told. You're going to carry the Christ child, but here's what you're going to do. You're going to go walk 90 miles pregnant so that you can go to this little town to do what? To pay taxes. Now, I have yet to find anybody who is joyful in paying taxes. And so here's this young couple in the midst of this pain and suffering, walking 90 miles, pregnant, great with child, to go to be numbered so they might pay taxes to Caesar. So why should they have joy? Because within her womb, she carries the Savior of the world. 
See, we, we get the understanding that all of us have one of those days, don't we? Where everything goes wrong. Let me tell you about mine yesterday. I wake up to a text. Dad, something's leaking from upstairs. And it's leaking onto the ceiling of the first floor. Shower. Leaked all over. So here I am with my daughter Victoria. Pulling down ceiling and insulation. Sopping wet. Putting it into garbage bags. So that's how the day starts. So I'm like, I need to go get a haircut. But I haven't eaten, so I, I don't want to make my wife, who's in pain, her knees all swollen and everything like that. I said, I'll just pick up something. So I go, I go to Taco Bell. Now that in and of itself should tell you that was a bad decision. But I got one of the sodas, and it didn't have like, it was just the soda water. It didn't have enough of the syrup. So I was drinking just that tonic water, and I was just like, you've got to be kidding me. So I wasn't very nice because I go to the same place, but I don't have a specific person who cuts my hair. So it was empty and there was two ladies. And my first thing to them was, which one of you can cut hair well? Because <laughs> I've had some bad haircuts there before. And they kind of looked at me shocked. And I said, I've had a bad day and then I don't want to have a bad haircut that lasts for a month. So not only there, I leave from there, I go, tires going flat. That's what I, so I limp home in the car and I'm kind of going, God, why? Right? We've all been there. We all sometimes think that God owns me. God, you, I'm the pastor. It's the day before, come on. Now, when everything goes right, do we ever stop and thank him? Or do we just assume that's the way it should have been? So how do I find joy in what happened yesterday? I got to spend it with my daughter, Victoria. And I could truly say that as I was ripping down the insulation and it was falling on my face, I said, I've just got to laugh because there's joy in being with my daughter. So there's the reality of how do we begin to see the joy in the midst? Listen to what the scripture says. James 1, 2 through 4. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your face produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. First Peter. Oh, this is still, sorry. Still James. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. First Peter, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your soul. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, 
who for the joy, listen, do you see what Jesus did? Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. See, we, we don't need to look for happiness. Happiness is fleeting. We should be looking for joy. Joy even in the midst of pain and suffering. Why? Because here's the reality. Joy comes in the Lord. That's the only way you ever experience true joy. It's the question we ask. Where does your joy come from? Our joy comes from the Lord. And scripture is very specific in regards to Romans 8. It says we can go nowhere. There is nowhere that we're not outside of his loving grasp. And so it doesn't matter the trials. It doesn't matter the tribulations. We always have a reason for joy. Back there in the incarnation of Christ, as well as looking for the second coming of Jesus. So we're going to look at this story a little bit in regards to joy And we're going to see in that setting how there was good news of great joy in the incarnation. And the first thing we see is the proclamation of joy. Now, God does something very unique here for the, um, for the shepherds because the first thing he does is he only sends, listen, one angel. Okay. And that's a a thing of mercy because, uh, again, we see pictures, we hear stories of, of angels who are these little babies, little chubby babies sitting around, flying around, shooting arrows, and they sing songs and, uh, they play harps and all this kind of stuff. That's not the reality of who angels wore. Angels wore warriors. They are warriors. And they were fearful, so much so that every time that someone experienced it that we see in Scripture, they are fearful of meeting that being. And so God, in his gracefulness, sends only one angel to the shepherds at the beginning. And he understands because he says to them, fear not, for I bring you good tidings of great joy. And so he comes in the midst of this, and I want you to think of this. I mean, think about if you were someone uh, who was uh, captured or whatever, and the Navy SEALs came running in with all their equipment and stuff like that, your first response would be fear until the time that you knew that they came to save you. That's what's going on with the shepherds and the angel. The angel comes to him and tells him, fear not, don't fear, because I'm bringing good tidings of great joy. And at that moment, then what happens is there's a multitude of angels that come around them. Now that is freaky. Think about that. There, this is a rare thing that happens. This would be scary enough to think, is this the end? Because it says the glory of the Lord shone around the Shekinah glory. The piercing glory. And there's an army of angels. Now that is really rare in scripture. You see one angel, two angels, three angels. An army of angels very rarely is even mentioned in scripture. One time, remember, is with Elisha and his servant. And remember, the servant goes outside and he sees the army encamped around them. And he comes in and he's freaking out. And he's talking to Elisha and he says, it's over, we're going to die. And Elisha says, there's more with us than are with them. And he looks outside, he, he might think, Elisha, you're crazy. What are you talking about? 
And Elijah says, Father, open his eyes that he might see. And when the servant goes back out, he sees the fiery chariots upon the mountain encompassing around them, thousands upon thousands. And what does Elisha do? Father, blind them. And he does. And he goes out there and Elisha leads his whole army into Samaria. He walks him to another country. Into a place where the king could, if he wanted to, wipe him out. And yet, yet... This multitude of angels who is this great army who is a battlefield full of warriors comes to these lowly shepherds. And what do they do? They bring a message of joy. Not war cries. It's a message of joy. Now, I I want you to think about this because remember, angels don't need a savior. So why are they here? I want you to think, because we do this, when we listen to our TV sets or we go to different places, we always, for most things, have a commentator. Someone who's supposed to be, um, not for any one side or anything like that, but they're just supposed to be up there, and they're supposed to be giving commentary of what unfolds. I think that's what the angels are doing. They're giving commentary of what is unfolding for us here on earth. And as they get to the point where they hear and see They respond with what? Worship. Jesus isn't going to do anything for them. But they worship because we get the good news of great joy. So there's a proclamation of joy from these angelic beings. But who are the recipients of joy? They're shepherds. And they're shepherds who are out in their fields by night. And I think that's very specific that God came to them in the evening and not during the daytime. But he comes to these outcasts. They're unclean. They're not a part of society. But the strange thing about these recipients is they understood that they had some needs. And as they were aware of that, we we need to understand that shepherds have a relationship with their flocks. Because usually it's the shepherd who leads a flock. If you ever see a shepherd smacking sheep to go forward, they're taking them to the slaughter. Usually a shepherd is out in front of the flock and the flock follows the good shepherd because he takes them to the fields that are, are good and he protects them. They understand that. And at night he brings them to a fold. He brings them to a place and either they construct a fence or they bring them to places where rocks where they're encompassed surrounded and the flock goes in and then what happens is the shepherd on watch stays as the door nothing comes in and nothing goes out so there's peace among the flock for they're able to lie down in green pastures because there's nothing to worry about sound familiar jesus is the great shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep Jesus comes and he says, have no fear, for I've brought you to a safe place. And I'm not going to let you run away and get lost. And I'm not going to allow the things come in to attack you. So be safe and secure and have great joy. And Jesus came to do this for both Israel and the Gentiles, all people, to bring them into his fold. See, the reality is, is we need to have joy in our Savior Because God comes and he gives to us the answer to our greatest need. Because if our greatest need was information, he would have sent us a teacher. If our greatest need was technology, he would have sent to us a scientist. 
If our greatest need was wealth, he would send to us an economist. If our greatest need was pleasure, he would give to us an entertainer. But God knew the greatest need that we ever had was we needed forgiveness. And so Christ comes as our Savior. Now the reality is Jesus was unnoticed at his first advent. Unnoticed by the world. He wasn't born in Jerusalem, the capital city. He was born in a no-name town that's name is Bread. He doesn't come with pomp and circumstance. He comes in a manger, a rock for a bed, surrounded by stinky shepherds, a barn full of fun smells, I'm sure. Hot, sweaty, lowly parents, poor. That's what the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords come and did at the first incarnation. But when he comes back, it's not going to go unnoticed. When he returns the second time, he comes back as the conquering king. And when he does that, he's going to bring joy to the world. That's the song. And the reality is, is as we begin to unpack that a little bit, it says every heart. See, when he came the first time, he was despised and rejected. But listen to what Philippians 2 says. Therefore, God has highly exalted him, Jesus, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Every knee, whether willingly, as we would, as we would come to our king and we would bow ourselves before his presence or as a conquered foe, but every knee will bow before Jesus Christ at his second coming. And so the question for us Is there a desire for everyone to know Jesus? I mean, really, truly, do we have that desire? And I know sometimes it's a struggle. It's a struggle for me sometimes. There are times, and I'm sorry I had to tell you this as your pastor, but there is time where I don't care if I tell the Christmas story to people because I don't care if they go to hell or not. Well, that is horrible, pastor. You do it too. We decide. We pick and choose. You're a nice person. I like you. I'll tell you about Jesus. You, not so much. The question for us is, do we change our perspective? When I went into that, to the haircut place, and I asked that question, which one of you cuts the hair best? I truly sat in that chair and said, God, please give me the opportunity to preach to them so they might come to a saving knowledge of grace. Whether they give me a good haircut or not. See, it's changing perspective of God change how we see people. Do we really want every heart to have Christ? And as we begin to, to, to pray that way, as we begin to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, then what happens is there's a transformative work of the Holy Spirit that comes. See, reading the song and listening to it, the, we understand the world isn't free of sin, pain, and sorrow. But we know that according to the scriptures and just what we read in Philippians, that Jesus, listen, Jesus is sitting, seated at the right hand of God. You only do that in times of peace. And so Jesus is seated at the right hand of God and he intercedes for us and he gave to the world. Listen, he gave to the world the church. We are supposed to be the impact of joy. We're the ones who are supposed to be loving one another, remember? We need to be doing that here at Northside, but it also means the church universal. I went to a luncheon this past week, and so there ended up being just um, nine of us who ended up coming to this uh, 
time, and it was a time where we're trying to look at how do we minister to people within the hospitality industry, a very dark industry, um, and so how can we partner together and stuff like that. And you know what ended up happening with those nine people? There were eight people from Calvary Chapel and one Presbyterian. One. No Baptist, no Methodist, no whatever. And I'm not slamming them. I'm just saying it was the church supposed to be coming together universally. You know, and they had the same concerns. But if we start doing this, will people start leaving our church and go to another church? How stupid, right? Jesus Christ came not just for Presbyterians, not just for Baptists, not just for Pentecostals, not just for non-denominationals. Jesus came for his church. And we're supposed to be bringing joy together. Not fighting each other. Finding what we have in common. Our Savior, Jesus Christ. So that's where we find great joy. And when we begin to find the impact of that, we also understand that we bring joy to all the world. How do we do that? Well, if you are a Christian and you have been changed by Christ, you begin to change how you live. You begin to change how you do your job. How you act as a child. How you act as a parent. Because you want God to be glorified. The song says that the nations, listen, the nations will reveal the glory of God. The nations. Because the nations are in God's hand. And we understand it's going to get worse. It's going to get worse, people, before it gets better. But I, I really want you to grasp and understand that. Listen, my time in the military with the Navy, I only did simulation of warfare. I never had to go. I never had to see live fire. So you know what that does for, for you when you only have to go through simulations? Well, if you get hit by a torpedo and your ship blows up, it's just in theory. So it doesn't matter. So it doesn't change me per se. If you go into real battle and you survive and you come home, you're changed. You're changed. And so are you being changed by the joy of the Lord this season? Are you looking forward to the day where he comes back? And listen to what it says of the second advent, Revelation 21. And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man and he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away and he who was seated on the throne said behold I am making all things new and he said right this down for these words are trustworthy and true where is your joy this advent season my prayer is it's in the lord so no matter the circumstances no matter the trials that come it doesn't matter if your ceiling caves in it doesn't matter if your tires go flat if your engines blow up 
If there's not one present under the Christmas tree, your joy can be complete in Christ Jesus the Lord. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I do pray that this would be true of us. True of us as individuals and true of us as a church and true of us as your kingdom. Lord, that we would be people who are not fearful, but are individuals who have great joy in the midst of all trials and pain and suffering and circumstances. Because we know the king. And we know that the king has won the war. And he's coming back and he's coming back to bring us in the train of his glory. And Father, we look forward to that day when you are on your throne and you are with us, with your people forevermore. No more pain, no more sorrow, no more crying. Everything works the way it's supposed to. Father, give us the opportunity now to bring that here on earth so that when people see us, they know that there's something different and they ask why. And we can tell them of the good news of great joy this Advent season. This we pray in Christ's name and all God's people said, amen.